0: Welcome to the Marian Message, presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. Each week, we'll hear God's Word explored by Dr. Henry M. Meadows, Jr. as he preaches from the pulpit of Marian Baptist Church in Chatham, Virginia. We pray that this message will be a blessing and further your walk with God. Let's join him now. My daddy gave me a snapper lawnmower. Y'all all right? Y'all remember those snappers had about a 28-inch cut on that bad boy, you know? So as my daddy gave it to me, he said, Now, son, when you go to change the belt on this thing, you're going to have everything done, but if you don't push this little lever, try as you might, you will not get that belt on that mower. No problem. I got you. I'm in Richmond. About the second year I've had that mower. (laughs) Belt broke. Lisa's like, what are you doing back inside?" I'm like, well, the belt broke on that mower. I said, I'm going to run up here to the store and I'm going to get a new belt. I'm going to carry this one with me and make sure I get the right belt. Go in the store, told them what I had, told them the type of snapper that I had, the model and everything. And the guy's like, yeah, you, you, you need this belt. You know how to change it? I said, oh, I got this. I worked on that belt, I strained, I pulled, screwdrivers were involved, I kicked it, I threw stuff at it, nothing would get that belt on that stinking mower. So I finally said, I'm going to cut you on fire, Catch you on fire, go in the house, and Lisa's like... What are you doing inside now? Stupid lawnmower my daddy gave me. I had a piece of junk. I said, you keep that. Air air. She said, are you doing it right? <laughs> Say that again. And then in that moment, I said, oh, yeah. Walk back out. Get it to that point again. Little lever. Worked <laughs> works fine. Now you may say, why are you telling me that story? Do you know how many of us think we're going to get to heaven on a way we're trying to do it without knowing the exact way to get there? I, I'm surprised when I ask people, when I talk to people, what do you, I said, and I, this is a lot of times how I'll start. So I say, if, if you were to die right now, and you were to stand at the portal of heaven and God, Jesus himself was standing. I said, now, this is not how it's going to happen. Understand it. But if Jesus was standing there and he looked at you and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Y'all, I, I hear everything from church folks. I'm talking folks that have been sitting in preaching services for years and years and years. You, you hear things like, well, because I was baptized. Bless your heart, Miss Jennifer, I'm going to baptize you next week. That don't get you to heaven. That's just marrying well water. I hear things like, well, you, you got to be a good person. Well, then we're all going to hell because the Bible says there's none good, no, not one. You, you got to read your Bible. Well, that's a good thing to do. Doesn't get you to heaven. Well, you gotta you got to get to church. You got to be at church every Sunday you possibly can. Yeah, well, that's a good thing, but... Matter of fact, next week I'm going to talk to you about the importance of coming to church. But that doesn't get you there. It get, won't get you a minute in the presence of Jesus in heaven. We so miss it. Just like I was missing that one little lever that I had to push. And I'm so afraid that so many of us are going to miss it because we hear but we're not listening. I heard my daddy say, son, no matter how much you do it, if you don't push this little lever, you're not getting this belt on this mower. And I'm so afraid that some people are sitting here today. You're hearing what I'm saying, but you're not listening to what I'm saying. We're going to talk about why Jesus came and how it was for the forgiveness of sins and that it was the only way to get you into heaven. So I pray that today you'll not just hear, you'll listen. Psalm 103, now in your Bibles, you go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 10, but in Psalm 103, David is pinning some words that you have to just say, how did he know this? Listen to this, because this was not what was occurring right now. In Psalm 103, Psalm 103, We read these words. You've probably heard it. You may not have known the psalm that it came from. You probably have heard these words. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. And now listen. Remember, David is writing this under the law. And he says this. Who forgives all your iniquity? Wait a minute. The law didn't forgive anything. It covered it. Remember? the illustration I've talked about for several weeks, it covered it. By the way, if it doesn't take away your sin, if it doesn't remove your sin, your guilt and your liability are still intact for that sin. Who heals all your diseases. Now that part, okay, we got that. Who redeems your life from the pit. If you cannot have your sins forgiven, how can you be redeemed? who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. I'm just going to throw this out. That word, "crown" right there, it means to encircle. So do you understand that when you come to Jesus, you are encircled, in a sense, with the steadfast love and mercy. The word for steadfast love in the Old Testament is the word of grace in the New Testament. So really what he says, you're encircled with grace and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Here's my question. How could David have written those so many hundreds of years before Jesus ever came? Because he knew what was coming. Because he had the shadow in all of those burnt offerings and all of those sin offerings and all of that times that they had to come to give a sacrifice. It was a shadow, but the real was yet to come. Stand in the reading God's word. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 1. Here, I'm starting off with it. So keep in mind what David wrote. He said, this is what's going to happen. And then we're going to see how Jesus fulfilled all of that. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you've taken no pleasure Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of your book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is a covenant I will make with them, After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Father, help us to understand you came to seek and to save that which was lost. You came to do what the law could never do in its ritual save us, and redeem us. God, move among us right now. Help us focus and hear, not what a preacher says and to listen to what a preacher says, but what the Spirit has to say to the church today. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. For the forgiveness of sins. Why did Jesus have to come? Well, first off, as we look at that truth, here's number one, because of the inability of the law. It's sound in, in the first four verses right there, the inability of the law. Number one, it was an inability because it says right there in verse one, it was but a shadow. There's a preacher one time whose wife died and they had young kids and the kids were really struggling to figure out this thing called death. And so as they're going um, to the, from the church to the graveyard, they, they get passed by this 18-wheeler that casts this huge shadow over top of the car. And the pastor grabbed hold of that truce and he said, kids, can I ask you a question? Would you rather have gotten hit by that shadow or by that truck? And they're like, well, obviously dad, by that shadow. He said, that's what has happened to your mama. It's just a shadow of death. Your mother is not dead. Your mother is alive today. And then he quoted Psalm 23, 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the what? Shadow of death. It's just a shadow. And so all that we had in the Old Testament, all the offerings, even the very holy of holy, that sacred space that was found in the tabernacle and in the temple and that place where only the high priest could go once a year to, to throw blood on the mercy seat and, and seek forgiveness on that day of atonement, even that was nothing more than a shadow, with no redeeming power whatsoever. The endless rituals of the Levitical sacrifices could never make us perfect, according to this word. It it could not make perfect those who drew near. So you may say, well, wait a minute. So we can be perfect? No, no, no. The word perfect there just means complete. Do you understand that in? jesus you can be complete and one day when we get to heaven we know that it says that we'll neither marry nor be given in marriage and when we're in heaven in our glorified bodies why because we will be made complete in jesus we will not need another to help fill up what is lacking remember that when adam was there in the garden the god made a help meet to complete him a help meet to come alongside not somebody below his feet not mighty above him but to walk side with him to walk through this thing called life to help him meet all the issues of the day. Do you know in heaven you won't have that? You'll be made complete in him. The law cannot do that. It never could. All the law did was remind them, it still does, of their sin. When you find someone today, we would talk about a guy or a, a lady that's a legalist if they continually bring up the law. A Pharisee, as it were, and all they do is talk about the sins. I love singing songs like The Goodness of God because so often all we see of God is this man that says, Don't do this and don't do that and don't do and don't do and don't do and don't do. But yet we forget the truth is, He is so good to us. He has been faithful all of our life. Whether you acknowledge it or not, He is faithful. Flipping your Bibles, if you were, how, how the law does it to Romans chapter 7. I talked a little bit about Romans last week. Uh, I started, really dealt with the first few verses there, but today I want to start at verse 15. In Romans chapter 7, as we think about this and what the law does and what it could not do and how it works, listen to these words in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. This is Paul talking. We know that, Paul, if you want to come... Um, Bruce is dealing with Romans on Wednesday nights, man. It's been great, but I'm ahead of it. So there's no question as to the authorship of the book of Romans. Paul is writing it. Listen to what he says. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Do you get what Paul says? The thing that I want to do, I don't do. The thing that I don't want to do is what I do. And it's because sin dwells in me. And notice what he says. For I know that in me, that, that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Think about that. Now, this is Paul writing. This is the same guy who wrote, in other places, I die daily. He's the same one that said, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And it's the same man that here says, I don't even do what I want to do. Sin just overtakes me at times. But you ask the average Christian today, and we'll say nothing like this. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good dudette. I'm all right. I, I never killed nobody. It's funny how we all go that route, don't we? When we're describing ourselves, it's almost like that's the very first thing we go through. Well, I ain't never killed nobody. And I say, well, you know, the Bible does say if you hated somebody, you killed them in your heart. Listen, didn't go on. For I do not do... The good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members waging another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Did you catch what he said? He says, I love the law of God. Listen, but there's no power in it to make me do what it says. There's nothing specifically about the law itself that if I just love the law of God, if I love those commandments, if I love those stuff, and I do, there's nothing in and of them by themselves that says, well, do it then. He says, matter of fact, it's the opposite. When I read about covetousness, I become a coveter. When I read about the sayings of adultery, I become an adulterer. When I read about things that are stolen, I become a thief. The law had no power and has no power to change you. I love that. And then he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to Jesus Christ. Here's the foundational truth of the law. Let me give you three things really quickly. Here's a foundational truth. The first one is verse four. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It's impossible. Number two, the law is nothing more than a mirror to your soul. You may say, because I don't want you to think here that I'm saying, well, the Old Testament has nothing good about it. That's not true. It's called the righteous law. And that law will tell you exactly when you read about all that, it'll read that you are a sinner, that you need a Savior. When you read those laws and you read all that was going on, you begin to understand that you're not worthy. Can I make that statement? You're not worthy of what Jesus did for you. That's called grace. And then third, it showed how badly we need a Savior. Blood of bulls and goats. Can wash away your sins. It's a mirror to your soul, and it should show you your need for a savior. That's what the first four verses are saying right there. Then we get to verse five. Consequently, consequently, when Christ came, did you love that? There's a truth that at some point Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and came down to earth. Well, why did He come? Let's keep on reading. Sacrifice and offerings you've not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. You know why Christ came? He said it in Luke when he saw to Zacchaeus, he came to seek and save that which was lost. And how did he do it? Because he came to do the will of the Father. He came to do everything that God demanded. He came to do and fulfill all the righteous requirements of the law. His body was made specifically for one reason, to do the law, to fulfill it to, a, to every jot and tittle and every little note he fulfilled it, and then to offer himself as a living sacrifice for your sins and mine. This is the key. You see, when he said on the cross to Telestai, here's what he's saying. I've done it all. There was a righteous requirement by the law for a sacrificial death. There was needed to be one who could live perfectly according to the law. There needed to be one who could live a sinless and perfect life. There needed to be one that would be that lamb of Exodus chapter 12. There needed to be one who would shed perfect blood that could be poured out, that would change your sins from scarlet to white as snow. There needed to be one who came like man to pay the penalty. And he was the one. He said it throughout the scriptures. He came to do the Father's will. In Matthew chapter 26, even so far as when he was in the garden. Do you remember what he said? He's about to to go and offer himself as that sacrifice. He's about to go and shed his blood and then in the garden he goes, Father, if you can take this cup from me, please do this. But if not, not my will, but thine be darned. Now I want you to turn to John chapter 4. Go to, I'm going to show you several places where Jesus said it. Before that night, Jesus said it. We know John chapter 4. It's a great chapter about the woman at the well. and But he's all there and the disciples. This is so funny, I think. The disciples at times just didn't get it. They've gone off to go buy bread. And there's Jesus. He has this conversation with this woman. And he talks to her about living water. Then the disciples come back and They're like, Rabbi, eat. I'm just going to start at verse 32. Rabbi, eat. And listen to what he says. But he says, I have food to eat that you don't even know about. And so the disciples are sitting there going, who brought you food? Where'd you get food from, bro? You've been hiding something out on us. You got up under your tunic. You don't believe me. So the disciples said to one another, anyone brought him something to eat? So listen to what Jesus said. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Chapter 5, verse 30. Bible says this, I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then lastly in 638, he says this, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Why does he need to do that will? Because it tells us right here. Because Jesus did not delight in sacrifices and offerings. He did not delight in burnt offerings and sin offerings. Do you know that death was not to be a part of us? Now, I understand when we die to ourselves, it's a sweet aroma to Jesus. When we do all those, we deny ourselves. It's a sweet aroma. But do you understand? Jesus like, that's not what I wanted. I just want you to do my will, to live in my will. So here's the question. Whose will do you live by? Do you live by your will? Like everything you do is based on you? because you think you're smarter than Jesus, you think you're smarter than God, and you say, this is my life, I'm going to do with it what I must, I'm going to do with it how I feel, I'm going to make the decisions and never check with Almighty God? Or do you say, God, this is your life now, you bought it, you redeemed it, you take care of it, and you show me which way to go. Whose will do you live by? How many of us have got down on our face at an altar and said, God, Here it is, not my will, but thy will be done. Show me where to go. See, some people, they'll come to me and they'll say, Preacher, man, I've got this great opportunity. It's a promotion and it's a raise in money. I really think I should take it. What do you think? Number one, I'm not telling you what to do. And number two, I'm going to say this. Have you asked God? I am surprised at how many times I get this statement back. Well, he's got to be in it if they're giving me a promotion and more money. Really? How do you know he's got to be in it? Have you asked? Preacher, I think I need to go do this. Have you asked God? God didn't. God does not care about the trivialities of my life. Oh, really? He knows the very number of hairs on your head. He knows everything about the sparrow. You think he doesn't care about anything and everything you do? And he came for a reason. He says there in in verse, he says, Behold, I have come to do your will, verse 9. He does away with the first to establish the second. Because the first was based on works. Second on grace and mercy and the shed blood of Jesus. Flip over to 1 Corinthians. Here it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You know, as I read this a lot when we're having communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he tells us that truth. He does it again in Luke twenty-two twenty 20 and Matthew 26. But here he says this in verse 25. In the same way he took the cup after supper, saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood. The new covenant is this. You get to heaven not by doing works. You get to heaven by the blood of Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? Jesus is that, if you will, is that lever. Jesus' blood is that lever. And there is no other lever. There is no amount of works. Here's the truth. You will never give enough money to get into heaven. You'll never read your Bible enough to get into heaven. You'll never come to church enough to get into heaven. You'll never live good enough to get into heaven. The only way, the one absolute way is by the blood of Jesus. Now, you can think you're smarter than God, and you can think you know more than this old redheaded preacher, and you can think you got it figured out, brother or sister. I'm going to tell you this out of love. You're going to bust hell wide open because there's no other way to get to heaven but by the blood of Jesus. Now, you can sit there and you can smarm your face at me, and you can act like I'm an idiot, but I'm telling you, you're not going to find yourself in heaven the day you die. And you have nothing to say because you've now heard the truth. Let me give you the last thing, the singularity of Christ's service. Of sacrifice, excuse me. Notice what it did. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away the sins of the world. You can have all those blood, but you can have all those sacrifices, you can do all those things, you can have all those dead animals, you can shed all that blood, and it'll never take away the sins of the world. He'll not take away one. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. His work was finished. He was waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool. Listen in verse 14 For by a single offering (coughs) he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified by a single offering. You know why? You know, John told him that in John chapter one and verse 29, here's what we read. Jesus was walking up and John says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. From the very beginning, it was known. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter three and verse 15. The blood of Jesus was going to take away the sin, all of it. Now, it perfected that we are being sanctified. Now, so this is positional sanctification. We talk about a single offering. He has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. You know, you're being completed, being more and more like him. Positional sanctification is this. When you come to Jesus, there's three aspects of salvation. We talked about it. You have justification, sanctification, and then glorification one day. And in in sanctification, you got two parts. You got positional sanctification, which means when you're saved, you are now in the process of being sanctified. That you should every day look more and more like Jesus. Because the more and more you get to know him, the more and more you see him face to face. I believe you live out 1 John chapter 3 that when we see him face to face, we become like him for we've seen him. And the more you know him, the more you're going to love him, the more you want to look like him. Positional sanctification, it, and it brings what it does. Is it brings the Holy Spirit into us who believe. That's what He's talking about right here uh, when He says this. Because and that after that time, the Holy Spirit bears witness to us. You know, you can't go to heaven without the Holy Spirit, right? Because what the blood of Jesus does when it washes us and cleanses us and takes away our sins forever, it instills and installs and puts in the Holy Spirit right in your very heart, the very throne of the enemy. The Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 1, I think it's verse 13, says he is the guarantee of our inheritance. He, by him, he's the one that tells us, convicts us. You can see all the work of him in John chapter 14 and John chapter 15 and 16 when it talks about that he's the spirit of truth and he's the one that convicts us of sin. He's the one that guides us into all truth. That's why when you sit here and you say things like this, like, well, I just don't understand the Bible. Here's what you're saying. The Holy Spirit is not man enough to tell you what it says. When you say, I can't comprehend that, I can read it, but I don't understand it. Here's what you're saying, because I would first say, have you submitted your will to understanding to the Holy Spirit? Because if you say you don't comprehend and yet you have the Holy Spirit in the living inside of you, What you're saying is he's not powerful, he's not strong enough, he's not man enough to tell you exactly what he's saying. And so often you don't even need to read the word to know some things. I'm just going to tell y'all. Prior to really coming to Jesus, I had a filthy mouth. But I didn't need a preacher to stand up and tell me that it was wrong to use that language. Hello. Now, is it good? Yeah, absolutely. I read it. But I had someone living inside of me to tell me, You don't need to do that no more. You don't need to talk like that. Had it happen again this week. I just want to tell you this about the Holy Spirit. I'm not your Holy Spirit. Y'all all right. If you got the Holy Spirit residing in you, he sees it even clearer than I do. I'm not your Holy Spirit. But if a preacher brings conviction, shouldn't the Holy Spirit bring even more? Listen, it brought total forgiveness. It brought total forgiveness. It says it right there at the very end. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering of sin. Isaiah 118 says, though your sins be a scarlet, they'll be made as white as snow. Flip over to Psalm 103, and I'm about done. This has been quick today, isn't it? Psalm 103, right back where we started. How does he provide it? Remember I said, the law swept it under a rug, but it's still there, right? Everybody with me? That's all the law did. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward us who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, they never meet. You can keep going east forever. You can keep going west forever because it never turns in the other way. You can go around and around and around and around, and you can go around the other way, just around. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions. They are no longer under your feet. They are removed. He came for the forgiveness of your sins. Thanks for listening to the Marian Message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. If you would like to know more, you can reach us on our Facebook page or on our website, www.marianbcba.com.